Shining a light on autism and life on the spectrum. Welcome to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. A podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism. And now, here's your neurologically different host, Orion Kelly. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly. I'm autistic and my purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education and growth opportunities through some open, honest and engaging conversations around autism. I'm here to hopefully break down the stigmas and misconceptions around autism and increase the level of understanding, appreciation and acceptance of the autistic community. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Join the conversation now at the Orion Kelly Facebook page. Now, on this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about early intervention therapies for autistic kids. And look, I guess to some degree for autistic adults, sure, they're not early, but they are sometimes recommended. So let's talk about what we would class as intervention therapies for autistic people. For starters, from the get-go, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a healthcare professional, don't work in the industry, I'm not an early intervention therapy provider or advocate or whatever. I'm just an autistic guy with an autistic son who advocates for the autistic community based on my own personal lived experiences and the experiences that I have from my seven-year-old son being involved in some early intervention therapies. So let's go through and let's talk a bit about some of the therapies, and I guess let's start with the whole idea of diagnosis and therapies. So you might know this, and if you don't, once you're diagnosed as autistic, you may be referred to different types of therapies, and they may be covered by government funding. That doesn't happen everywhere. It definitely happens to some extent in here in Australia. The core issue is that autism is not a disease. It cannot be cured. We don't want it to be cured. You're born autistic. It's a neurological developmental disability. You die autistic. You can't strengthen it, weaken it. It won't fade away. It won't get lighter with age. My argument has always been, I think it can get even more troublesome with age because you have more stresses in life, but that's a whole different podcast. So that's the groundwork. It's a neurological difference classed as a disability. It's a recognized disability. So therapies designed to change or alter the way an autistic person acts only help neurotypical people, right? We're trying to get someone who has a disability to enter into early intervention therapy to change or alter their behaviour or change or alter the way they are as a person. In essence, to make neurotypical people or non-autistic people feel more comfortable. Okay, so I'm touching on the purpose in my mind, of early intervention therapies. And everyone has a different opinion. This is my my podcast and my opinion, and I guess that's why you're listening. But anyway, the purpose. Interventional therapies. Okay, well, let's, let's break this down. Interventional therapies. Okay, that would be to intervene, right? To intrude, to mediate, as if autistic people are visitors to a neurotypical planet. So have a quick think. Maybe you're you're non-autistic, you know, you're neurotypical, but maybe you have an autistic child. How would you feel 
if after being diagnosed, if you, you, not your child, if you were diagnosed autistic, you were told, okay, you've been diagnosed as autistic and you now require immediate and long-term intervention. We must place you into long-term intervention immediately or as soon as possible. How would that make you feel? And to make it worse, in some countries, you've got to justify the funding you can get from government organisations by regularly submitting goals for your early intervention that you don't even want to undertake or aren't even designed to help you in a way where there are goals to be achieved. Think about it. Like, okay, so I've got to come up with goals to justify to get funding. They're not goals that help me. They're goals that help neurotypical people. My goal is to just live my life, just like you. Live my life, live my true self. Be an autistic person. Feel accepted, feel valued by the community as me, an autistic person. That's my goal. And autistic people are pretty much expected to not only accept these early intervention therapies designed to rehabilitate us, but we also have to come up with what about us needs to be rehabilitated. (laughs) From the get-go, you can see it's problematic for the mental health and the well-being of autistic people. And keep in mind, this is usually thrust upon autistic children. Can you imagine the effects that must have on autistic children? In my opinion, early intervention therapies, and I know this can sound harsh, but the way I view it, early intervention therapies, for the most part, are nothing more than classes in acting and assimilation. Hey, autistic people, you're different to us. If you want to live in our world, you're going to have to live the way we live. Does that sound familiar, by the way? (laughs) Hello? So it's assimilation. It's acting classes. Now, I get it. I get it. There are some forms of therapies for autistic people that are inherently practical-based, and they actually positively impact an autistic person's life because they provide practical benefits. But it's the intervention therapies, in my opinion, that are really just designed to Teach an autistic person, when you're feeling really autistic, do these things to not come across as autistic. And you can say what you want to say, but I've, I've witnessed these classes. I see what's happening. When an autistic person is triggered or starts to become autistic, all the therapies are doing is trying to explain to them how to mask, camouflage, hide, how to be not autistic in those moments, giving them some sort of tools, right? You know, they might use even phrases like, you know, oh, is your, is your engine starting to rev a bit too high? It's like, no, I'm autistic and I'm being autistic. Well, I'm not a car, I'm an autistic person. All right, so we clearly can't go through all the therapies. Let's just go through a couple that I've had direct experience with, with myself and my seven-year-old autistic son. Okay, so let's go through two examples of early intervention therapies, and we'll start off with speech therapy. Now, again, the practical benefits of speech therapy, I think, can be really beneficial because speech therapy is not only used to assist in speech and language, but it also aims to teach autistic people how to better read neurotypical body language, things like verbal and nonverbal cues, and how to communicate with neurotypical people. Now, on the surface, that all seems like a great practical benefit. But the word I kept saying was neurotypical, right? How to speak like them, how to understand them, how to read them, how to communicate better with them. Why do we need to learn that? That's the, that's the question. Autistic people, because obviously we're a disabled minority, why do we need to learn that? Why can't neurotypical people learn how to better communicate with us? 
I mean, that, that'll help us. That's a goal. So in my mind, although I can absolutely see the practical benefits, and I can see some of the practical benefits with my son through speech pathology or speech therapy or whatever you want to call it, I can also see it as forced intervention on an autistic person, mostly an autistic child, to learn a new language, to learn a new way of interacting. Because neurotypical people, they've decided, you know what, your way, autistic people, of communicating is wrong. Uh, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, sometimes rude, uh, confronting, off-putting, whatever. You, how, and you've got to change. You must change the way you communicate if you want to fit in with us, if you want to be around here, you want to be accepted by the herd. So placing all the expectations on the person with a neurological developmental disability to enter into this interventional therapy, right? to, to, to learn the language of neurotypical people, to do all the work to make neurotypical people feel better is clearly, in my mind, not acceptable. It's problematic. It, and the debt, so, okay, you're a child. You learn this early on. You're going to learn, okay, so the, what they're saying is I should, I should hide, camouflage, mask, my true autistic way of thinking, acting, talking, communicating, right? I should suppress that and act like them, be like them. Now, if you're a child and you learn that from a get-go, by the time you reach adulthood, you do not know who you are. You're a caricature, and that's going to have ramifications on your mental health, clearly. It's going to have ramifications on relationships. It's going to have ramifications on pretty much every aspect of your life in a very detrimentally negative way. An autistic person has a differently wired brain, and every autistic person is different. Every autistic person has individual challenges and strengths. You can have an autistic person like me. You can have an autistic person who's non-speaking. The one thing in common, of course, is that we all have an autistic brain. Now, to try and imagine that you can get someone who has an autistic brain, that is the only way they diagnose autistic. There's nothing about them apart from their brain being different that makes them autistic. And you think that you can teach them therapies, therapies, interventional therapies, that somehow can rewire their brain and make it neurotypical. You can't... I, I get the whole idea that, you know, when kids are really young in life, you know, there's a lot of plasticity, is that the word, to, you know, to their, the, the brains are moldable and you can really, you can really, you know, provide outcomes and blah, blah. But I mean, seriously, look at it logically. You think that someone who has an actual different brain can be taught to communicate in the way someone with a different brain to them communicates and that that is something that can work and be sustained long term. Really? And again, it just sends the signal aside from the, some of the things that can be practical to help autistic people thrive in the community with regards to the speech pathology type of things. But there's still the overarching problem that we're telling them that as a rule, they aren't able or won't be accepted into the community if they are going to be themselves and communicate the way they communicate. And you're either going to have to learn how to read us and understand us or you can get stuffed. Another form of early intervention therapy I want to discuss that is a big one for autistic kids, autistic people in general, occupational therapy, OT. Now, this focuses on basically the physical manifestation of sensory overload, outbursts, meltdowns, shutdowns, really, because neurotypical people just don't accept autistic people when they're being autistic. And I, I mean, seriously, I've been in these things. I've seen them, okay? When an autistic person starts to clearly be autistic, and that means, you know, drop their guard or they've just reached a point where they can't control it and they're having a, an uncontrollable reaction like a meltdown. When they get to that point, OT is basically going, okay, so this is the stuff that neurotypical people, non-autistic people don't accept, right? They don't want you doing this type of stuff. 
Right, this, this autistic stuff, it's got to go. So you can be autistic, that's fine, but you can't be autistic around us. Or you can be autistic as long as you act neurotypical. So I get that you're saying you're autistic, that's cool, but you have to pretend you're not. To pretend you're not, I'll accept you are as long as you pretend you're not and you don't act like you are, which isn't an acceptance, right? In my experience, OT can teach an autistic person how to mask their true self, how to act neurotypical in moments of meltdown or sensory overload. In moments where an autistic person is most in need, potentially most out of control, having a, res- having a brain response that is uncontrollable due to, like I've said, sensory overload or some sort of stress, meltdown, shutdown, burnout. <laughs> this is the moments when you really can't learn anything. You can't take an autistic kid into an OT room and when they start to actually be autistic, go, okay, now's the time I'm going to show you how to not do this. It's like, well, how do you expect to reach someone who's basically not reachable? Like it, it's a, it's a, it actually shows a, a complete lack of understanding in the first place of how autistic people work. From my point of view, it aims to teach an autistic person with a different brain how to act like they have a neurotypical brain while this lesson, by the way, to act like that, is while they're having, experiencing their most vulnerable, overwhelming, stressful, and at times uncontrollable moment. Do you see what I'm saying? Autistic sensory overload, outbursts, meltdowns, these types of experiences are, for the most part, uncontrollable. The argument is OT teaches you to identify them, right? This is what they would say. No, 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 we're teaching... We're teaching autistic people to identify them before they happen and then do things to avert them. Right. Okay. So let's, let's say I'm an autistic kid and, I, and I'm, I'm having a meltdown, right? I'm now I'm not reachable. I'm uncontrollable. I've, I've, been, I've been overloaded one way or another and my brain, is, my brain has created this response. It's an uncontrollable brain response from being overwhelmed, right? So I'm having a meltdown. You can paint the picture in your head yourself. I'm not going to generalise how meltdowns are. Okay. And then the OT comes in and goes, oh, identify what happened before this happened. What, what happened before this happened? Well, for starters, mate, I was in an OT class and you were here. You're, is there anything else? I mean, seriously. So you, they can't be reached. You, you can't teach kids to identify things leading up to things while they're having these things. Can you teach them when they're not having these, these types of occurrences? Probably. You could probably give it a crack. And I think it's actually, see, this is the part that I think can be practical. Like I know and my wife knows when myself or my son may need a break, may need alone time, may need to get away from the hustle and bustle of family life or wherever we are, right? That, and my wife will identify that or I'll identify that for our son and, and we'll do that. My wife might say to me, you know, I think maybe you need to go upstairs and be alone for a while or go upstairs and have a break or, you know, I, need, I think you might need to get out for a bit. So we're seeing the signs, whether it's, for adults, it could be more stress and more demands placed upon you in that moment. It could be just too much sensory um, competing sources that create an overload. This makes sense. Teaching kids or parents how to identify things that lead up, I think, is, is useful. Okay, so but it works better in theory. See, I think in practice, once an autistic person has started to feel overwhelmed, right, not, not got to that point yet, but has started to feel overwhelmed or overloaded, at that point, and I'm going my own personal lived experience and my son from experiencing you know, him going through this, we are unwilling or unable to use any of these tools that you've taught us to avert what is intrinsically uncontrollable. 
And from my point of view, the tools that we're taught once we realize, oh, I think I'm starting to have signs or signals that I might melt down or have a bit of an outburst, the tools that we're taught, really they're nothing more than forms of suppression, of masking, which is even worse. So even though I can see the practicality, I still think that the core is, isn't even a sophisticated theory. It only works in theory, and even if you try to use it in practice – what you're really saying is, look, in the end, what we're really what we're really teaching you is, you know, try and work out it's, it's about to come and then just suppress it, hide it, mask it. Do it, do whatever you got to do to just get out of that situation and, or just, just turn yourself off. Again, that's problematic, right? We go back to the, the hiding, suppressing, masking, camouflaging and the mental health ben- benefits, which are zero. If you're going to be told by people your whole childhood to never act like yourself or to hide your natural responses, thoughts, feelings, experiences down, camouflage, suppress, mask. It's not going to affect you in a positive way. From my experience, I think what works better, and when I talked about the whole we're unwilling, what I mean is if I'm getting to the point where there's a rumble of an overload or a meltdown or an outburst to some degree because of some sort of stress, demand, pressure, uh, sensory overload, when there's a rumble, which means it's, it's on its way, it's kind of not fixable, uh, retrievable. I'm unwilling because, well, when you start to feel like that, you're like, no, get stuffed. You can't help me. What are you talking about? You want to help me? Like, I'm unwilling. I'm like, no, don't tell me to do things. How about you turn the TV off or get the kids to watch TV in a different room or stop having a phone call while kids are yelling and the TV's going? Like, like there's other things that people can do that aren't the autistic person. It's like, well, what are you talking about? No. And I think what I've learned is, You've got to go backtrack even further and go, okay, we're at, the, we're at the starting point of the day. Everyone's happy. Okay, what do I know are the things that are going to trigger me as an autistic adult and parent or my autistic son? What are the things I know are going to trigger us? And, and you, I guarantee it, if you're autistic or you have a, a child, you're a parent or carer who has, who has a child or children who are autistic, I guarantee you know them better than anyone. You know their triggers. You know what pushes their autistic buttons. I guarantee it. Okay, so these are the things from the get-go that you need to, one, try and minimise as best you can. And that comes down to sacrifice on your own personal life and your own, and your own personal level. And from my point of view, I would say, I don't care. You're a parent, you've got a kid, this is who they are. If, if that means you've got to give things up, give certain things up, it'll create a more a peaceful or a more comfortable environment for them, then that's tough luck to you. Whatever, mate. I'm doing this every day. Like, seriously, get over it. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to be feel sorry for you, okay? I'm here to advocate for autistic people and I'm helping them through you. So let's pass that, okay? You've got to do that. You've got to clear the decks of things. And the things that you know will always be around, you've got to help them build resilience. But you don't build resilience with autistic kids the same way you build resilience with non-autistic kids, because as you know, autistic kids don't like confrontation and don't like criticism and don't like being pushed. Like I've talked about in, in other videos and podcasts, if you know, our son says, can I watch TV? We just say no, just one negative word, no. We know that's not going to impact his brain in a way that's going to help him or us. So, what, so we're going to give a yes, but, but, but we're, still, we're still parenting him in a way where, where we're saying no but it's, a, it's an autistic way. Yes, buddy, you can watch TV right after you get dressed in your school clothes. Can I watch TV? Yep, you sure can, mate. No worries. Just get dressed in your uniform and then we're ready to go. It's a yes 
right, not but, not but, not no, no one but, bad words. Yes, right after you get dressed. Yes, straight after you brush your teeth. Yes, once you finish your dinner. Yes, once you take your shoes off. You're saying, usually you'd say, no, you can't watch TV. You're not even dressed yet. You, you know, like be a parent and put it in your shoes. Let's just, be, let's just be real. No, you can't watch TV. You're not even in your uniform yet. You're going to miss the bus. What's wrong with you? I've told you 20 times. No, it's like, can I watch TV? Yes, buddy, of course you can watch TV. It's getting really close to leaving though. We don't want you to miss the bus. So I tell you what, get dressed in your school uniform. Once you've got your school uniform on, we'll whack on the TV and you can watch a show till we leave. Now, you might say that a couple of times. No, I'm not going to do that. Yes, you can watch TV, buddy. I'm, I'm telling you, it could already be on. You could already be watching TV right now. Just get dressed. It's, it's a pair of shorts and a shirt. Are you, I'm, I'm here to help you. you want to, I can help you if you'd like. I don't care how old they are, by the way. If they want some help and you, need to, and you can help them, help them. Like, this is another therapy thing. They place like ages on things like, by this age, you should be able to do these things by yourself. Like, what do you mean? You're not going for a pilot's license. You're just a human. Everyone's different. They'll get there. They'll get there. Who cares? Seriously. And I guess that's the core of this, right? Why I think early intervention therapies for autism, for autistic people don't work and are really quite damaging for the most part, aside from the practicalities, which I, I get are important, is because they're developed in theory and they're developed through the lens of neurotypical achievements and milestones and goals and the way it would be done in the neurotypical world and when neurotypical people would be able to do things. But that, again, because, and that makes sense because it, really all they're trying to do is make us neurotypical, make us act neurotypical and suppress our true selves. So, of course, they're going to use those that yardstick. How can you help autistic people by putting them under pressure to reach neurotypical milestones? It doesn't make any sense. So that's, in essence, my own personal opinion and thoughts from my lived experience, both myself and, and my son, I see the practical benefits in many therapies offered to autistic kids, autistic people. But we have to understand that overall, there's a line running through that, which still smacks of assimilation and acting classes, classes in masking and suppression, classes that aren't actually helpful. And we have to understand there's a lot of work to be done. What's the best therapy? Well, I'll tell you the best therapy. You could just accept us and we're done. The world won't just accept us for who we are and know that we're not being rude or brutal or abrupt, we're being ourselves because we're autistic. We're different. I mean, autistic people spend their entire life suppressing their true selves to please neurotypical people and fit into a world that isn't designed for them, right? So we, we learn, we observe, we adapt to being a person that neurotypical people, non-autistic people will accept. Acceptance isn't a given for autistic people. Did you hear what I said? Acceptance isn't a given. Let me ask you this, how much time if you're neurotypical, or people you may know who are neurotypical, how much time do you think neurotypical people spend learning about autistic people in order to understand them better? Because it's a daily thing for autistic people. It's a daily, lifelong thing for autistic people. Spending time learning about neurotypical people in order to understand them and be accepted better. We don't need interventional therapies to live our best lives. We just need acceptance. We need understanding. We need some appreciation. And really, it starts with you. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Hey, thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I do appreciate it. Now, if this particular episode has resonated with you, you know what would be really important and priceless to me really in value is simply by, by sharing it 
with the world, your friends, your family, anyone. And you can continue this conversation with me. Say hi. Follow the Orion Kelly page on Facebook. Or you can send me a message directly from my website. Just go to orionkelly.com.au. That's O-R-I-O-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com.au. And don't forget my YouTube channel, Orion Kelly, that autistic guy. My YouTube channel is chock-a-block full of many hopefully useful, valuable, autistic videos for not only you, but family, friends, and the autistic person in your life. So go to the website, check out the YouTube channel, and find me on all my socials. We're here, my friends, to increase the level of understanding and acceptance of autistic people. Till next time, thank you so much for opening your minds and embracing differences. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and never miss an episode. Like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or visit orionkelly.com.au.